The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20 is where we will be today. And uh, while you're turning there, um, this is going to be the last sermon that I'm going to preach for a while. Um, I'm having... As Ethan refers to it, surgery on my face. Um, I'm having sinus surgery done. Uh, so just quell all the rumors about uh, like cheek implants or any of that kind of stuff. You know, it's it's sinus surgery. Okay, so uh, I'm going to be out for a little while, and uh, I'm so thankful to serve with a bunch of guys that are able men who have a call in their life uh, and who are more than willing. To step into this this pulpit and preach the word, and I don't have to worry. I don't have to. I don't have to sit and you know recover and worry about what's going on. These guys, we ought to be thankful for them. Amen. Amen. And so, um, for about four weeks, uh, I won't be in this place. And uh, part of that is recovery. Uh, part of that is our vacation at the end of the month. We already had planned before I ever found out that I was going to have surgery. And so we're going to be out in the month of June. Uh, don't think that uh, that we've left you and just abandoned ship. We are uh, very much with you, and I'll be around from time to time, but uh, won't be in this spot. So uh, pray for those guys that, that will fill in. Uh, thankful to have Matt uh, with us for a year, and uh, and Greg and Ethan and Buddy Hall is going to be preaching one of those weeks as well. And so we look forward to hearing from other people, other guys, uh, the Word of God. So Exodus chapter 20, uh, this morning, uh, verse 15 is where we will be. Uh, you shall not steal. Uh, I was thinking about this as I'm preparing this text to preach to you. And uh, several years ago, we were living in Kentucky, and uh, I was in Kmart, great sanctified, godly place of Kmart. And uh, I'm doing some shopping, and lo and behold, I, I witnessed, I, I had come out of uh Kmart paid for my items, got in my van, and, uh, and I'm getting ready to leave. And uh, I see coming out the front door of Kmart, this guy just bolting out the door running. And then, uh, you know, 10 seconds later, I see about two or three other guys come running, chasing this guy. So I know automatically what's going on. This guy's shoplifted, and they're chasing him down. And so I just thought, well, I'll pull a Barney Fife here and just see if I can assist, you know. And so... I started my van and uh, just put that thing in drive and just followed this guy as he, as he ran across the parking lot. And I watched him run across the parking lot and run into an advanced auto parts. And uh, I drive and I just parked my van right in front, the very front parking spot there in front of the door. And uh, about two minutes later, these uh, security guards finally catch up and they're huffing and puffing, you know, and I said, he's in there. And uh, so they go in and... Uh, a few minutes later, all of a sudden, this guy comes bursting out the front door of Advanced Auto Parts, and he's coming right beside my van. So that's when I decided that I would pull my Barney Fife move, and I took my door, and as he's running, I just t- timed it perfectly, and just wham into this guy. And I was Barney Fife that day. I helped catch this guy who was stealing from Kmart. So. Um, that's my claim to fame. Eric, the former law enforcement, uh, you know, if you're looking for any tips, you know, I can help you out there. Just how to open a door, just right. 
You shall not steal. If this commandment is like a lot of other commandments, if we reduce it, if we minimize its definition, we can let ourselves off the hook and think, well, this doesn't really apply to me either because I don't steal things. I'm, I'm a respectable citizen. And that's for everybody else. That's for other people, not me. I don't steal. And if we define it in a limited way, we narrow it to where we let ourselves off the hook. But I want you to notice something about this command. You shall not steal is very vague. We're faced with the question of steal what? What way? At all times? I mean, what, what, we're never supposed to steal. But are we sometimes, you know what? We don't know. It's, it's vague. The word here in the original language is a word that covers not just what you think of stealing, but it covers all types of theft. And now I want you to just hear some of these. It covers burglary, which is breaking into someone's home or to a building to commit theft. Robbing, which is taking property directly from another using violence or intimidation. Larceny, uh, taking something without permission and not returning it. To which I would ask the question, how many of you have one of those little Abner Creek ink pens in your house or in your car? I'm going to get all those back, right? Uh, hijacking. I'm kidding about that. We want you to take those pens and share those around. But anyway, hijacking, using force to take goods in transit or seizing control of a bus, a truck, or a plane. Shoplifting, taking items from a store during business hours without, without paying. There's pickpocketing or purse snatching. Embezzlement. It's the fraudulent taking of money or other goods entrusted to one's care. Extortion, getting money from someone by means of, of threats or misuse of, of authority. Racketeering, obtaining money by any illegal means. Pilfering public property, stealing supplies from hospitals, building sites, churches, even hotels. Um, how many of you have, like, stocked with shampoos? <laughs> From hotel places you've stayed at or, or uh, you know, I, I was looking this week and I, I saw where up to 40%, maybe even a little more, uh, guests in your home admit to pilfering through your medicine cabinet and things like that when they go to the restroom. And so, uh, you know, this is what goes on. Uh, underpaying taxes or making false claims for disability or Social Security. The federal government steals um, by, by running up debt which they never intend to pay off. Um, employees falsify time cards. They take home office supplies. They, they don't put in a full day's work. They sit at their computer and they just surf the internet or you know, whatever the case may be. They thieve, they, they steal from their employer. You ever wonder what happened to Rite Aid? You drive around and you see all these empty, vacant Rite Aid buildings. They were caught stealing. They were over-reporting their earnings and and uh, wound up having to, their stock just plummeted. And so many of those stores uh, had to shut down. There's the theft of intellectual property, a violation of copyrights. Anytime you illegally burn or copy a, a movie or music, uh, that's, that's stealing. It's the unlawful duplication of, of music and videos. There's identity theft. I mean, how many, how many of us uh, are, are worried these days about uh, our passwords online and, and having to look and, and make sure that we're, we're not doing these things in an open way where someone can get our information and use it to open up uh, credit accounts. There, there's stealing that goes on all around us. And that's not something new. We look at it and we say, man, it's just gotten worse and worse. 
But I want you to hear from Martin Luther, uh, who was the sort of the father of the Reformation when he, when he went in, in, in the year 1517 and, and nailed those 95 theses to that church door. In, in Martin Luther, in his day, said, speculates on, on what would happen if we were to bring everybody to justice based on this command. Martin Luther said, it is the smallest part of thieves that are hung. He said, if we're to hang them all, where shall we get enough rope? And don't you think that's true? If it was true in Martin Luther's day, it's certainly true in our day. Uh, 500 years later, uh, people steal and thieve all the time. And, and it may be something small or it may be something large, but so much of it we look over. Well, there's a reason why God has placed this here in the Bible and preserved it for us. There's a reason why he has elevated it and made it one of the ten commandments for the nation uh, that's come out of Egypt and, and, uh, and are his people. And he's going to bring them into the land. He certainly feels very highly, very strongly about this command and he's placed it here. So I want to give you today four things uh, about this. Uh, about this command, about stealing in general, and uh, then draw some conclusions of application as we walk through. First is this. Stealing tears down the community. Stealing tears down the community. I mean, you think about Israel. They're in the midst of having to learn to live together as a new community of people. Uh, nomadic people at this point, but heading to the land. But every single one of them are sinners. Every single one of them are, are depraved in their, in their nature. They're corrupt. And so you put all of these hundreds of thousands or millions of people together, and this is probably a pretty important thing. They're going to live in close quarters. And, and uh, they've got to be told, don't steal. I mean, some things you're going to try to steal, and you're never going to be able to benefit from it. It's not like they could one day just show up wearing their, their neighbor's coat. And they would be like, well, that's my coat. You know, no, it's not. They've got to learn how to not steal. Um, when modern economists look at our culture today, and they look at the ethic of work, work and earning a paycheck, the, the modern secular economist does not look at that and root it in the Genesis 1 and 2 account. They don't look at people going to work and earning a paycheck and, and supporting their living based on God's decree that Adam and Eve were to subdue the earth. They, have, they don't root that in that at all. They just assume that, hey, this is necessary. You go to work, you earn a paycheck, you, you, you make a living for yourself. But this is God's idea from the beginning. And I would say to the modern economists, they have, they, it, doesn't, it doesn't register with them that they don't root that in the creation, subduing the earth mandate. But they have to have a reason for why we need armed banks. And why we have to lock our doors with deadbolts at night and, and add security systems to our homes that will call 911 for us. They have to have a reason why we have to have all these stinking passwords on our computers that none of us remember, right? I mean, how many of you, I mean, is that not frustrating? Like, I just wish there was, you know, an easier way. But I, I put in a password and then I don't remember it. Then I got to forget my password. Send me some code. I got to change it again. You know, I've, I've, I've named everything in my life that I can possibly name. I'm out of things, you know. Uh, but the, the secular economist does not have an answer for this. We go to work, we earn a paycheck, but they have no understanding or no answer for why do people steal? 
Without Genesis 3, there is no reason for stealing. There's no understanding of that. You can't explain that away. It can only be understood in a Genesis 3 understanding of the fall. Where Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God and do their own thing. That's the only way that can be understood. The command here, you shall not steal, uh, implies that God permits personal ownership. I mean, some would say, you know, um, you're not supposed to own anything. You're supposed to be free of materialism. Well, that's not... That's not so. God's speaking here to his people and he says, don't steal. You can't steal from someone if no one owns anything. So God permits this personal ownership. But I would point out to you that stealing threatens the social order. First off, stealing hurts the victim. You ever had your house broken into? It feels, you just feel violated after. I can remember being a youth minister in, in Kentucky, and, and uh, our youth building was across the road. It was an old Episcopal church that had been abandoned, yet they had consecrated that building for religious purposes. And so no one else could rent that place out unless it was some sort of Christian organization. And so I approached them about putting our student ministry over there, and that was, it was in eastern Kentucky. It was in, we were, had a lot of affluent people, but there was no middle class where we lived. It was either there was affluence or there was poverty. And so we were kind of right on that line. And uh, I remember one day getting up and, and going, I was going to go over there and do some things. And when I walked up the hill, the front door of the place was open. And I knew the night before that I had locked it. And so I walked in with caution and, and I began to look around and the sound booth that we had was just ransacked and things were missing. I went downstairs to our game room and there were these cabinets along the wall and every cabinet door was open. Well, it was obvious, you know, someone's been in here and taken our stuff, you know. And if you've ever had that happen to you, it is an alarming feeling. It is, I have been violated. And that's why so many of us uh, protect ourselves in other ways. But stealing hurts the victim. And God's going to deal with this in the next couple of chapters when he deals specifically in 21 and 22 with uh, stealing causes the person to go hungry or naked. The different societies talking about then that they wouldn't have anything to, to wear or have anything to eat. That they would lose their livelihood. He's going to talk about stealing someone's, someone's, um, someone's cattle or someone's, uh, someone's bull or, or the way they make their livelihood. He's going to talk in the next few chapters about stealing someone's child, kidnapping. How this hurts the individual. Al Mohler, in, uh, in a book he wrote called Words from the Fire on the Ten Commandments, says this. To steal from another person is not merely to steal his possession. It is to assault another's dignity as a human being who has the right to the toil of his hands, to the, to, to the produce of her talents, to the property that is rightfully ours. Don't we feel like if we work hard that we have a right to the things that we earn? If someone takes that away from us, it strips us of our dignity. God has ordained that dignity in allowing us to own personal property. Stealing threatens the entire social order. Not just hurts the victim, but it threatens the entire social order. Once crime begins in the community, don't you begin to look at your neighbors differently? Don't you begin to, to do things that maybe you wouldn't have done before? You, to take precautions so that you protect your, your family and your stuff? Um, I mean, how many of you heard this week that... Uh, that the Dollar General right here in Reedville was, was held up. Um, guys saying he had a gun. I mean, you know, right now, 
my first reaction was reefal, you know? But we live in this fallen world. And, and this destroys this, this social order. We begin to look at one another and distrust one another. We, we, we begin to shut one another out of our lives because we just don't know who we can trust and who we can't. So stealing destroys, it threatens the social order. And I want to point out to you that this is not the way God designed it to be. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 39, God said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, tell me how stealing from my neighbor is loving him as I would love myself. I love when people say there's no such thing as absolute truth. There's no such thing as, as an absolute right and wrong always in any situation. And to which, you know, the reply is, really? Absolutely, there's not, you know. And, and you say, uh, well, what if, what if tonight uh, a burglar comes and breaks your window and comes into your house and takes your stuff? Are you okay with that? No, I'm not okay with that. But you just told me that there's not anything that's ever always right and wrong. This is not the way the world should be. God says we should love him and we should love our neighbor. And the reality is when we see theft in our community, we look around and we see things that are not the way they should be. They're not shalom. They're not peaceful. It should remind us that one day God will reestablish shalom. That Christ will return and set everything right. And in the meantime, you and I should work for those things. We should work to make our communities peaceful. We should put down roots and build houses and plant gardens and live among the people who are not part of, uh, of the Christian community and love them well. But we should also know that there's never going to be a time when we love them so well that peace ushers itself in apart from the return of Christ Jesus. Stealing threatens and tears down the entire community. Secondly is this. Stealing doesn't trust God to provide. It, it, it doesn't trust God to provide. When a Christian steals, he or she says two things. One is, God hasn't given me what I need. And you may not say that with your mouth. Those may not be words that come out of your mouth. But when you take something that doesn't belong to you, you're saying, God, I needed this and you didn't give it to me, so I took it. The second thing a person says when they steal, a Christian, is, is that God was unwise to give the other person that I stole from what he gave them. They didn't really need it. God didn't know what he was doing to give it to them. He should have given it to me, and so I'll take it for myself. And it doesn't trust God to provide. And this is an old, old lie of the devil. Do you remember in Matthew 4 when Jesus went off into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days? The Bible says the Spirit led him there to be tempted or tested. Um, there the, the, the devil came to Jesus out there and, and he was fasting for 40 days. And the devil said this in verses 2 and 3. Uh, the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, then command these stones to become bread. And the devil's implication in this, and I've shared this with you before, but the devil's implication is, if you're really the Son of God, either... You're not, or he's not a good father because he's not providing for you. He's not giving you what you need. Satan comes back, Jesus replies, sends him away. And Satan comes back to Jesus a little bit later, and, uh, and he, the devil comes and, and tells Jesus, takes him to a very high mountain, and says, 
all the kingdoms of the world. Look out. Look at all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to Jesus, I'll give you all of them if you'll bow down to me. In other words, Satan is saying, look, God has, for whatever reason, given all these kingdoms to others in the world. He's not given them to you. So if you want them, take them. I mean, do you see the, the lie here of Satan that he says God doesn't know what he's doing? He hasn't given you what you need or that he's given other people in an unwise way what belongs to you and you should take it? What we have to understand as, as believers, as Christians, is that God is sovereign and that he is a good father. That's why we sing that song that he's a good, good father. The Satan will tell us that he is not a good father, that he's leaving us hungry and we should have the right to bread if we want bread. Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 to 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Oh, that we would hear that. When Satan comes and whispers, he's not a good father. He's not giving you what you need, and he's giving what you need to other people. Oh, that we would hear this, that God is so sovereign that there's not a bird that falls from the sky to its death without his knowing of it. And he has the hairs counted, numbered on our heads, and he knows where we are and considers us of more value than they because we bear his image. And we can trust that he will give us exactly what we need. When we need it, in his wisdom, the one who knows everything, the end from the beginning, who's all powerful, can do anything he wants. When you and I come to a place in our life and we say, I don't like where I am, I don't have what I need, either, either we have way, we've gone wayward into sin and God is convicting us and pulling us back, or we're exactly where we need to be because God in his wisdom has placed us there. And we can trust his sovereignty. Oh, that, that we might have the response of Jesus. When the devil came to Jesus, Jesus' response in those two accounts was, man shall not live by bread alone, but by, on every single word of God. His response to the, the last reply there from, from Satan was, be gone, Satan. You shall, not worship, you, you shall worship the Lord your God, and, and him only shall you serve. Jesus said to Satan, I'm not bowing down to you. I'm not taking something that's not mine. God will exalt me when it's ready. And oh, that that would be our response. And that Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 through 9 would be our prayer. Proverbs 30 says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who's the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. I mean, don't you, don't you long as a believer for that to be your prayer? God, make me content. Give me what I need and make me content there. God, if, if I have too much, I know my heart. I know my wicked heart and I will forget about you. But God, if I have too little, I know my wicked heart and I will be tempted to steal and take what I need. So God, Put me in the sweet spot of your grace and give me what I need and make me content right there. Oh, that that would be our prayer in all things. So stealing 
He tears down the community. Stealing doesn't trust God to provide. And third is this. Stealing is a stewardship issue. Stealing is a stewardship issue. A steward was a person who was to manage someone else's property. They didn't own the property themselves. They were to manage what was placed into their care. And God's people are, are not to be marked by material greed. I just told you a minute ago that God allows personal ownership, and he does. But in some way, God wants to remind us that while he allows us to hang on to it and call it ours, it's really always his. It's, everything we have is his. And God's people are not to be marked by material greed. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 to 34, let me read this passage to you. It says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is, is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Oh, that that would mark us as believers. That we would not be saying, oh, I want more, I want more, I want more. That we would be marked by this material greed. Instead, that we would say, God, I'm trusting you to provide exactly what I need in your wisdom. That God would make us content there. This doesn't mean, if I say to you where Christians are not to be marked by material greed, this doesn't mean that we can't enjoy God's material blessings. Uh, I've shared with you before, I enjoy a really good cup of coffee in the morning. I mean, in fact, my wife will tell you it's not enjoyment, it's necessity <laughs> that I have a cup of coffee in the morning. Don't, don't talk to me before I have a cup of coffee. I enjoy that, Right? It's not wrong to enjoy those things. In fact, it's a stewardship issue. Enjoying God's gifts are really, that's really just one side of the coin of stewardship. That what God gives us, what he places into our hands, he says, enjoy it. It's a gift from me. So here's what I would say to you. If you can afford one, yeti on, right? If you can afford one of those things, man, get it and enjoy it. But as for me and my house... <laughs> We shall cool by Coleman. That's, that's the motto of our house. Uh, that's, that's, that's it. But here's the deal. If you Yeti and we Coleman, we're going to both enjoy those things as God's sovereign wisdom in placing them into our hands and give him the glory and be willing to hold those things loosely for the sake of his name. 
God's people are not to be marked by material greed, but God's people are to be marked by working hard, enjoying God's gifts, and being generous to those in need. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 10 through 11, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. My dad's sitting down here on the front row or second row today, and um, my dad has modeled this for me. My dad has served our family so well. He has, he has worked all of his life. He taught me an, an ethic of work that I can't repay him for. I, I, can't, I, I can't ever lose sight of that. I, I, I remember growing up, and, and I don't ever remember a time where dad just sat down in the living room to watch TV, unless it was a Tennessee football game. And then it was the TV on and the radio beside him so he could listen to the local commentators call the game. But other than that, my dad was working. My dad worked for 38 and a half years at Alcoa Aluminum. My, my dad, after he retired, went to work uh, at, at our local church uh, as a custodian and served there for several years after he retired, just has retired again. My dad, if he wasn't at work, my dad was in the garden or he was in the yard or he was, he was working on a car. He worked hard and he enjoyed what God gave him and he allowed us to enjoy those things as well. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. God God says work is a good thing. If you can work, work. If you're you're able to earn a living, God said that that is an admirable thing. That's a godly thing. Go out and earn a living so that then you can take what I place in your hands as a result and you can be ready to give anybody that's in need. How can stealing, you say, be connected with stewardship? Well, at least in two ways. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, will, will man rob God? You're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out for you a blessing until there is no more need. So one way we rob God, we, we steal from God, is that we withhold those things that he puts into our care, and we hoard them for ourselves. If you're not currently giving regularly to the church, whether you're a member here, you're a regular attender here, or maybe you're just visiting from another church, if you're not giving where God is, has planted your life, let me just encourage you to do so. I'm not going to tell you a place to start on that. The Old Testament uh, value on that was, was to start at 10%. In fact, they were to start more like 33% because they were a, a theocracy with no, no civil government over them. Uh, but we, we live in a different time. I, I would say to you, 10% is probably a good, good starting place. But, but I would just tell you to start. Just start and just trust and see. You say, well, there's nothing left at the end of the month. I can't do that. I would challenge you to trust the Lord by giving up front and, and, and asking him, God, meet my needs. Now, some of you came today and you think, man, this is just another preacher asking for money. I won't apologize for this. 
Because you know what? I'm not asking in a, in a selfish, personal way. I'm asking because I know what goes out of this place. And the ministry into the community and the ministry to the nations. And, and that's what I'm believing in. That, that's what I want you to give toward, to say, I'll buy into that. I'll buy into the, the fame of God's name in our neighborhood and to the nations. And so I would just challenge you to start somewhere. We rob God when we hold those things back. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not, not for men. Another way we rob God is we, we sit on those things that he has blessed us with called gifts and talents. We sit on those things and we say, God could never use that. God, God doesn't have a use for that in his kingdom. You'd be surprised some of the things that I have seen people harness and use for the building up of the church to the glory of God. I mean, I, people just come through here and just put pens and, and connection cards in the seat back. And they don't want to have any recognition. They just want to serve somehow. People, every week you come in and you, you see people out there just handing out name badges and handing out bulletins. Some way, get involved and serve in your local church. Jerry Bridges, who I love Jerry Bridges' writing, says this. There are three basic attitudes we can take toward possessions. The first says, what is yours is mine, I'll take it. That would be stealing. The second says, what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. That also is stealing. It's robbing from God. The third attitude, though, Jerry Bridges says, is the godly attitude. What's mine is God's, and I'll gladly give it. Al Mohler also said in his book, again, Words from the Fire, as God's new covenant people in Christ, we must view our wealth not so much as a sign of divine favor, but as a sign of incredible responsibility. You know, we, we live in a day of prosperity preachers that want you to sow a seed so that God's favor might be upon you. And that's not at all what the Bible calls for. The Bible calls for a, for a person who has been saved by Christ, had their sins forgiven by the, the finished work of Jesus at the cross, and is longing for him to return so that they might live with him again forever. It calls for that person to be generous because they have received so much. That's the difference. God's given us not just incredible favor, but he's given us responsibility. That what he places in our hands, he holds us. You remember the, the stories he told about those that, that managed? And to one, they were given this many talents, and another, this many talents, and this one, another. And, and two of them went out, and they, they invested, and they managed that well, and they brought back this profit for their master. And the one said, I, I knew you to be a harsh master, and so I, I didn't want to lose what you gave me, so I took it and I just buried it in the ground. And, and Jesus called him wicked and had him led away. We will be held accountable. We have a responsibility in the area of stewardship. So the fourth is this. Stealing reveals a person's real disposition. I mean, probably somewhere along the way, you've been convicted of maybe something in your life. Maybe you, you, know, you got one of those pens at home, or maybe it's something else. You're stealing from, from God in some way, or you, you've just, you know, 
you've been swiping cable off your neighbor for years and you probably should confess up to that or whatever it is. Well, all of us, if we're honest, all of us stand guilty under this commandment. None of us can live up to this. We need Christ. This commandment reveals to us, stealing reveals a person's real disposition. In Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says, Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. The equivalent today would be employees should be submissive to their employers in everything. Now, not when they tell you to do something illegal or, or harmful, but that you ought to serve them as if you're serving God. And then he goes on in, in Titus and says uh, they, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. What they reveal, what you reveal as a person who steals is that the doctrine is not resident within your heart. You've not latched onto that. The Spirit doesn't live within you because He's not leading you into all truth. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't stray from here and, here and there and, and, and walk into these things. I mean, Eric taught Sunday school this morning and, and talked about how sometimes the old Eric comes out, and, and, and that's true for all of us. But if the pattern of your life is one that, that disregards this commandment and wants to steal and take and everybody just owes you all the time, then you're displaying the fact that you're not a believer. Christ doesn't live within you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 brings bad news for you. In verse 10, don't be deceived. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This means that if you don't have Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, then your hope of heaven is a fairy tale. And everybody wants to go to heaven one day. And you ask anybody on the street, you believe there's a heaven? Yep, there's a heaven. You want to go there? Yep. You think you're going? Yep. What about a hell? Do you think there's a hell? Oh, no, there's no hell. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but the reality is the Bible says that there is no way for you to go to heaven, to go to this kingdom of heaven without a personal faith in Jesus Christ. It's impossible. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He's exclusive. But here's the good news. If, if thieves don't inherit the kingdom of God, the good news is if you'll think back to when Jesus was crucified, was Jesus the only one crucified that day? No, okay. Thank you. Appreciate it, David. He's staying awake back there. They, thieves were crucified on either side of him, right? Jesus crucified, but think about it. He's crucified between two thieves. He's the only one in that moment who's innocent. He has no sin of his own, yet he's being nailed to the cross. And he's being nailed to a cross between two thieves. Those that had stolen. And surely those that were of Israel that day watching this, looking at these thieves, are thinking back to Exodus 20, verse 15. You shall not steal. And they were assuming, oh, they're getting what 
is, is right. They shouldn't steal. They're getting what was coming to them. And there's Jesus hanging in between them. No sin of his own. He's not done anything wrong. Multiple, multiple people along the way. Caesar washed his hands. Right? I find nothing to condemn him. I'm innocent of this man's blood, right? Yet here he is between two thieves. And Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43 says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him. The other rebuked him and said, and said Don't you fear God? And he looked at this other thief and he said, Don't you fear God? I mean, where, what hope do you have in this moment, man? Do you not fear God since you and I, you, you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly. This thief looks at another thief and says, You know we're guilty. You know we deserve to be here. We, we're getting our due reward of our deeds. But this thief, the one who did not rail, said, But this man, th- this man has done nothing wrong. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, how does a man nailed to a cross say to another man nailed to a cross beside him, I know you're a king and I know you're coming into your kingdom, so remember me. That doesn't happen unless the Spirit of God makes him alive, causes him to see the truth of Jesus. I mean, what dying man places faith in another dying man to rescue him? Jesus' words, the sweetest words today you will be with me in paradise. It's incredibly sweet. I love the way Philip Graham Ryken said in his commentary, it is well known that Christ was crucified between two thieves, but as far as God's justice was concerned, there were really three thieves on the cross that day. Two who died for their own crimes and one who took our sins upon himself. See, Jesus, who knew no sin, made himself to be sin on our behalf so that if we might turn and trust him, that simple trust like the thief that's dying, saying to a dying man, remember me. See, the reality is, man, what faith it would have taken in that moment. But for you and I, Jesus is no longer nailed to a cross. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Jesus now lives at the right hand of God the Father, victorious over sin and death, hell and the grave. And for you and I, it is not the same mustering of faith as the man nailed to a cross. For us, it is Jesus alive and well at the right hand of the Father. Forgive me of my sin. For I know that I'm rightly receiving what I deserve by going to hell. 
But Jesus, remember me. Help me to believe. Place faith in Christ. Allow him to be the one who died in your place. Taking your place and becoming your substitute. See, stealing reveals the real disposition. So as you look at your life and you ask yourself, maybe it's stealing, maybe it's another one of the commandments. If this is a pattern of my life and there's no conviction over this sin, am I really, am I really a Christian? Do I really have this eternal life that everybody talks about? Or am I, am I just deceived or deceiving myself? Your heart reveals your disposition. Let me give you four application points. Number one is this. Today, confess your guilt. Confess your guilt to God and call out to Jesus. Place your faith in him and have your sins forgiven in him. It will not instantly make everything in the rest of your life well. But it will be absolutely so worth it because you placing your faith in Christ in a real way takes you to live with him forever. You're remembered in his kingdom. Secondly is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't look at your neighbor and say, why do they always get everything? I mean, look at their driveway, man. Why do they got all that stuff? Why don't I have some of that stuff? We're going to hear later about envy, but don't, don't be jealous and don't question God's sovereignty. Instead, love your neighbor. Whether they have a lot or they have a little, love your neighbor. Love them as you would love yourself. Don't wait for them to deserve your love. Love them. Choose to love them. Number three, trust God's wisdom to provide what you need. Just trust Him. Just God, make me content. Don't make me, don't make me wealthy and don't make me poor. God, give me what I need and Lord, make me content with what you give. And then fourth, work hard and keep a light grip on those possessions. Ready and willing to give those away as God leads you to for the sake of his name among the nations. This is the gospel and possessions. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your, your word. Lord, I thank you that you love us. Lord, we, um, we have hearts that are without you that are so wicked. And God, if, if we're honest, we know our, our condition of our hearts. And Lord, it couldn't be any more clear that we need you. God, I pray, Lord, in this room that if there's one or two or whoever in this room, God, that does not know you as Savior, and Lord, they've been shown that today, that today, God, they might cry out to you and be saved, have their sins forgiven, be made right with you. Lord, if, if there are those in the room, Lord, that, God, you've particularly convicted today, maybe they're, they're yours already, but God, there's been a practice that's been going on in their life or something that happened and God, they just have been convicted over the severity of this command. God, I pray that, that 1 John 1, 9 would be the cry of their hearts. They would confess that sin to you and find it to be forgiven and for you to be right to do so. 
God, I just pray that you would indeed have your way among us. Glorify yourself by making much of your name, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you an opportunity to reflect and respond. Ethan will begin to, to play and um, gives you an opportunity to, to think on what you've heard, to think on the command, to think on these things, and, and ask God to stir your heart, to lead you into truth. And then, if you find yourself needing to respond in some step of obedience, I'd, I'd like to just challenge you to step out and do that. Um, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, but you want to, you want to be saved from God's wrath for your sin, then I'd love to talk, for, talk to you. I'll be seated up here on the front and, and would love for you just to come and just speak to me. Maybe you're here and, and there's something you need to pray about. There's options all over the room and outside of the room. There's a, a prayer room through those doors to the left. There's people in that room that would love to just pray with you. Use these steps if you'd like to come and pray. Grab a friend next to you and, and just ask them to pray with you. If you're here today and, and you know that this is the faith family, this is the church that you believe God is leading you to, to become a member of, to join, then I'll be here on the front. Love for you to come speak with me about that. Whatever it is that God says to you, follow me. Step out in obedience. Let's worship Him. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.